Hello, welcome to another episode of the Carousel Podcast. I'm Isaac Simpson. With me today is Peachy Keenan. You will definitely have seen her name around in our scene. She is tweeter of bangers, writer for American Mind, and author of a new book called Domestic Extremist, A Practical Guide to Winning the Culture War. Um, Obviously, Domestic Extremist is a pun there. She is a mother of five kids and a great writer, a copywriter, so perfect for this podcast about propaganda. And I call her a machine gun of deft insights and funny one-liners, a uh, machine gun Keenan, as you said, Peachy. And um, she's a must follow in our scene. And she has, uh, you know, great kind of philosophical grounding, but also really clever, zingy, like wit. So um, I feel like you're kind of a person that's really well suited to be bringing some of our ideas mainstream. Do you feel that way? Uh, that was a great intro. I was trying to live up to those expectations. <laughs> you set the bar so high. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, that's definitely my goal. Like, you know, as a writer and as a, you know, poster or whatever, I definitely feel like so much great stuff is coming out of, you know, the people that we know and we follow. Um, But if you want to like, if you want to have real influence and you want to, you know, change the culture, you do need to sort of try to win the normies. You know, if we, like, I just watched um, uh, Gladiator with my 11 year old. He loved it. And like, there's that great line, you know, win the crowd, win, win the mob and you win your freedom. And I sort of, I sort of feel like that we have to win the mob. Uh, if we if we if we want victory. Yeah, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about the mob recently and what that means, um, <laughs> because I just got back from Vegas and I tweeted about it. <laughs> I was just with a group of people who, you know, I don't dislike them. I, I want to be clear that I don't dislike these people. They just strike me as true normies, you know, like they are yeah. a group of normies like they're not. um and I've spent my entire life swimming through these groups of guys that are normies in, in one way or another. Right. And, you know, some of them are more intense, you know, like the real estate guys and the banker guys. And some are more uh, soft around the edges, particularly people in L.A. Um, but they all kind of have in, in common the same just like kind of insensitivity, I think. Mm-hmm. The things that you and I like really would bother somebody like you and you or me, like, ba- you know what I mean? Like, like what? Like if they were to see a advertisement that is shilling transgenderism or is saying oh, yeah. toxic masculinity <clears throat> or watching the NFL, the NFL is probably the best example. When the NFL starts covering its field and don't be racist, right? Which it does. It just doesn't like register for them, really. You know, it, it's like they just they aren't hit by it. They are, they don't notice it. Like w- with this group, we watched we walked past a Victoria's Secret in Vegas, and at this new Victoria's Secret, it was all mannequins that were like overweight mannequins. Oh yeah, I just saw those at the mall a few weeks ago. Yeah, and like the, the main <laughs> picture was like a big fat black woman in modeling 
on right. Andre. That was even worse than the mannequins, by the way. Like the mannequins weren't actually really fat. They were just kind of like thick. But this woman that was the main picture for the whole store was like obese. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like they just walk right by they walk to the club and they dance to little John and it's just, they don't notice, you know, like they don't even like notice. Right. Yeah. Our, our, our curse is noticing things and you know, that's why, yeah, that's why we're online. But you know, I also swim in normie circles, you know, God bless them. There have to be normies. They, they, (laughs) we can like show them the light, you know, they, we can't all be doing it. We can't all be posting. Um, yeah, I think that guys like that, I mean, I know, obviously know a lot of guys like that. Uh, they seem to be kind of on a leash. Some of them, I'm not saying your friends, I don't know your friends, but I think they're on a little bit of a, a short leash from the wife and they know that if they, you know, they hear what she says and her reactions to certain like, oh, isn't it wonderful? The NFL ad, you know, football is gay now, honey. You know, they <laughs> like that ad football is gay. <laughs> like yes that's true and the I, the husbands just want peace you know yeah, they want peace they want, yeah, they want yeah. harmony you know she can do her own thing they're not going to get the argument and they've kind of been maybe i don't know trained a little bit by the you know they're living in the longhouse and they've internalized it i think right right well i mean the the part that so this particular group was actually a lot of them were single still you know and these guys are late 30s there was a 40th birthday and a lot of them are still single. So these guys are really like very much casualties of all of the things that you write about so well. Yeah, and let wow. me just say, just so people in listening can understand, when you're reading Peachy's writing, like Domestic Extremist and, and the other stuff that you write for American Mind, you have a very distinct style. And your style is like, again, I think machine gun is a great, it's a great word. <laughs> uh, also, what's her name? Who I was just listening to. Inez Stepman had a great kind of like, you know, she called you a based something queen. Like you're, you are hammering on these images that we're seeing in clown world so all the things we're talking about football is gay you know chop your kids dick off in school you know all these things that we're seeing everywhere all these signals and as a copywriter like you're also super sensitive to this shit because you're like you know how those things are made and what they mean and what they stand for but then you kind of so you hit on all these like cultural touch points you describe them and then you kind of show their hypocrisy with another image and then you provide sort of a, a a grounding in theory so you talk like about moldbug you talk about people like james pulos and other thinker and nietzsche you talk about thinkers that are very influential in our space so you have this kind of perfect like um dense i would call it like dense in a good way like uh take on uh, that it feels very like mainstream political it feels to me like a tucker carlson monologue oh well that's a wonderful compliment he has great writers um you know my i i write a lot about yeah like you know society and 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 politics and stuff but my you know my first love is like you know uh 
comedy writing and um you know i i've always been i was always a fan of like great ads because look at that copywriter just nailed that tagline like puns like i always loved uh magazines as you know when i was young i would read egg magazine and um spy like i just love that wit the new yorker not new yorker anymore what it used to be i just love that sort of cosmopolitan like wit wittiness you know like in college, I was obsessed with like Dorothy Parker, you know, <clears throat> and uh, I loved stand up comedy. And so and so now so I got I got like spit out with all that background into this like, you know, right wing political environment. <laughs> and so like my only real way to to process it all and deal with it is to just like write the way I'm used to writing with that kind of background and like pick apart all these like funny funny, ridiculous, insane, tragic, uh, you know, trends in our culture. And I think also what also helps is being, you know, Generation X, because we didn't, you know, we didn't have any access. There's no internet, no cell phone, nothing, nothing. We had nothing until we were already kind of formed. We were already fully formed sort of as like young adults. And then all this stuff kind of came out. And so we were able to always hold it a little bit as like this at an ironic, like, you know, arms, arms, uh, like distance. Yeah. So what were we, yeah, no, I think that that's, that's very telling that you have that kind of background. And I think that you're putting the pieces together in a really cool way. Um, yeah. And bringing this into the mainstream in a way that I think a lot of other people can't do. I, I also like what you're saying about the woman's role. And we'll get to that. I think that you're kind of saying that, like, actually, the key to a lot of this stuff is the woman. Um, But I guess what I'm, I guess what we were talking about is like that group of just kind of guys who are a casualty of this thing, but they can't yeah. see it. Right. right. It's like right. They, they're not mad about it. They're they're mad about they're mad at racists. You know, they're they're they want to be. I, I worked with a guy mm-hmm. who was a perfect example of this at, at the Ace Hotel when I was bartending. And he was an actor, really good looking guy, actor, probably late 30s, single, had no money, you know, very promising. <clears throat> so mad. He was like so angry, mm-hmm. but he was angry at racists. <laughs> right. It's like, dude, yeah. you live in Los Angeles. There are no <laughs> racists around. Like, what right. are you so mad about? Why so are you mad. so angry? And it's, it's like it's because the you know the the propagandists, as um Bernays so perfectly described in, in books that for some reason nobody has read, um, you know, they're so good at directing that guy's anger about his shitty, terrible life towards like racist you know he was always talking about john brown like i want to be like john brown and destroy the racist and oh my like, gosh oh, what are you like you're you're just completely living in a fantasy world right i'm not gonna <laughs> settle down i can't settle down and get married and have yeah. a family until we until we get rid of racism until right. we yeah. defund the police and you know? solve solve climate change I, I can't do anything until those things are fixed yeah yeah Which yeah is, there's a lot of so there's there's a lot of, um, I mean, you say there's casualties among your friend group. Um, I mean, I think women are, there's even more casualties. I mean, there's, you know, the fields are littered with bodies um, from as casualties of, of, you know, 50 years of feminism. And 
I mean, that is really in my mind, the number one issue, the number, like the number one, like cause, if you want to like find like, why are we, why is, why is everything like so shitty? Like what's going on? Like trans drag kids and all this stuff. I think it's really tied to women being kind of, uh, you know, quote, liberated, you know, from the patriarchy and their liberation is like a kind of strange, like slavery. And um, my, my book is really a reaction to that. And it's like my attempt to like redirect that energy to like, no, you guys are totally lost. Like you're, you know, they, yeah, but it's like, they, it. it's, they're, they're so it, it's just like, I'm so fascinated by this right now, just coming off this weekend. And <laughs> I don't know how to get them to notice, you know, I, I don't think they ever will. That's right. the thing. And I think that's yeah. what Moldbug misses, you know, Moldbug talks about, yeah, I mean, how familiar are you with the whole frogs and elves and dark elves thing? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. So we talk about this a lot. Moldbug sets up this, you know, very fascinating and, and you know, I, I, I'm not saying there's anything bad about the paradigm, but he sets up this kind of um, metaphor where there's the elves who are the elites. That's the propagandist that we're talking about, the hidden state, as Bernays would call it. Right. Then there's the dark elves who are people like Curtis himself who are elite, but they're, you know, they're traitors. They're traitors. They're tra- class traitors. They're right wing. They're monarchists, whatever. They're people like us. Not that I'm a monarchist, but, you know, they're people who want to change the system that's in place, more or less. And then everybody else is a hobbit. And he says, you know, what motivates the elves, both dark and not, is living a beautiful life, which I found to be so telling. And because it just kind <laughs> of shows like what elite people is motivating them at all. <laughs> and then like, why are they acting this way? Uh, and then what do the hobbits want? They want to grill and raise kids. And I think like that hobbit that he's talking about is a right wing NASCAR hobbit, right? Like these are right. people that are actually right wing from birth. They're blood and soil, you know, they're Scotch Irish, the people that, you know, uh, dealt with the wildernesses, wildernesses of Appalachia and made the country what it is and became right. cowboys and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, sure. Those people want to grill and uh, they want to grow and have kids. But he's missing like the largest group of them all, which is just normie neutral dudes. And normie neutral dudes are liberal. Because of course they're liberal, because that's what they're, the whole thing we're fighting against is this like information regime that makes them liberal. So like, I just, am, you know, I think, uh, how, how do you, like, is that, well, the question I want to ask is, is that group a lost cause? Are they, is there any point in even talking to them at all? No. Like, No. Um, you know, I say, people ask me, guys ask me sometimes like for dating advice, like, where am I going to find, how am I going to, you know, the girls on the dating apps are just like, you know, they're, they're, they're crazy. Like you can't date them. They're, they've been, they've been around the block, you know, a few too many times. And I'm like, well, you know, if the apples on the, in the barrel are rotten, you got to get them off the tree. I mean, we sort of have to, it's sad, but yeah, if, past a certain age, these people are not going to change. I mean, I don't know what it would take. Like they could have the scimitar at their throat and they would still be screaming, but I'm an ally. You know, they don't, 
I don't think that they're going to get it. I do think we have to sort of target the younger, uh, you know, people who are who are younger or people who really get to the point where they they realize they've like they've 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 found a black pill lying on the ground, and they they put it in their mouth and like they realize, oh, why why am I so depressed? Why am I so lonely? Like why aren't I happy? I was supposed to be happy. They told me I would be happy, you know, if I if I got this career and I did this and I you know, um, got a Tinder account. Why, why aren't I happy? So we're really relying on them to kind of hit rock bottom. Yeah. And then, and then for us to kind of swoop in and say, you know, Hey, come over here. Like there's maybe, maybe we we can, <laughs> we can help you. Um, I think that those guys, like your friends, they're just, they're just a little too comfortable. Right. And they're made comfortable by, <clears throat> you know, as my friend, uh, Anthony, who is the combine on Twitter, Urbit guy says, if we could just shut off the supply of SSRIs and porn, we'd probably be fine. <laughs> like if right. we could just, you know, at least from the, the male perspective, if you could just cut off the drugs and the, if, I think if you just got rid of the porn, you'd be fine. Right. Because these guys are all just whacking it six times a day. Are they? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Totally. And it's like, you wonder why they're so, oh, my gosh. Dumb. it's like, dude, yeah. they have no instinct, you know, yeah. they have no like sexual instinct that's driving. Right. You, you know? can't like, right. If someone is an addict, uh, whatever they're addicted to, there's no talking sense to them. Like, right. so, so, you know, if you're a, if you're a porn addict, you can show them all the like great, funny right-wing memes you want it's not going to stop. No, like, they're never going to get it. Yeah. Yeah. They have to go to rehab. They have to detox and that can't really, you know, that has to come like any addict has to come from themselves. Like you can't force it on anyone. Um, one of the, it's funny. One of the reasons that I wrote this TV sitcom pilot um, last year, or actually it was in 2021 now, which is actually, you know, I post about it and it's on Amazon. You guys can all buy it. Um, was because I, you know, one of my goals is to try to break through to the like the great normie unwashed masses like and my strategy is, well, OK, like no political argument you could ever make is going to change their minds. No essay, no matter how many I could write a thousand freaking American mind essays, like it will not change their mind or, you know, uh, stop them from, you know, fapping all day. But what if what if you could get a few of them, peel some of them off by like making them delighted, making them laugh or shocking them and then making them laugh? Like what if you could, you know, it's like I, I sort of equate it sometimes to like a circus and there's a bunch of different tents and there's this freak show and that freak show. We If we just can get them into take a peek inside our tent, you know, we're putting on a really great this is the best show. This yeah, is where yeah, this is yeah, where the fun yeah. this is where the fun is. Well, right. Yeah, that's the punk rock approach. And that's what's happening. And you know, people forget that actually punk rock was also right wing. It got co-opted later, <laughs> yeah. but actually punk rock had like Nazis where we're at all those shows. <laughs> Nobody remembers this. People should watch 24-hour party people. Fucking great movie. And it right. depicts this. It shows like in the early days of Manchester when, you know, Ian Curtis and New Order was playing or it was, uh, you know, obviously Joy Division, which is a Nazi reference to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all skinheads in their audience. And they try and like swing it like, oh, but they didn't like that. But they actually depict Ian Curtis as being like, so what? I, these are my people, you know? 
Right. So right, right. I think that's what you're saying. We, we have to keep doing what we're doing to, yeah, create the funnest tent. And then the normies, mm-hmm. as they're skating around, just like what happened with punk rock, they'll eventually find us and be like, okay, well, uh, this is... Um, this is the coolest stuff this is going on. This is where people are actually talking the truth. And so I need to be here. Right. 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 You put it, you have to put on the best show, but inside, inside, inside the show is a little kernel of the like little secret knowledge that you're transmitting out. Yeah. I think like that's sorry. Yeah. And that's like what a meme is, you know, it makes you laugh, but like it's, it's exposing some like profound little nugget, you know? Yeah. I think that's the plan that uh, some of these big guys have. I I, I don't want to, I, I don't have any actual knowledge of this, so I'm okay saying <laughs> it because I'm not like revealing a secret, but the sense I get is that the big power brokers in our space, they have mm-hmm. the same plan. They, they have the plan oh, that's good. of like, attract write some good shit that's not overtly right wing which is probably like why people like me and you aren't cultivated more to be honest i mean you're cultivated more than me but i think Mm. like i was cultivated before but once i came out as like actually genuinely just like based Mm -hmm. i actually get cultivated less and i think that that's Mm. largely because the guys who are pulling the strings have this idea that what we want is you put it perfectly with the tent thing. It's such a good metaphor. We want people who can make this kind of innocuous fun tent from the outside. Right. And then seed the ideas like ever so slightly <clears throat> on the inside. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, you know, so besides all this, like writing I do and tweeting, I do my, my second love is like, you know, entertainment and movies. And, you know, like I said, I wrote this TV sitcom, you know, I was long ago, a a TV writer's assistant. And anyway, um, my conception of like, well, we need to put out, you know, based content, like movies and TV and all that stuff. But like, you know, no matter how many movies the Daily Wire makes with Gina Carano, like not a single person is going to like go, huh, yeah, maybe I need to like switch political parties. Like that's not that's that's not there. You know, they're preaching to the choir and that's fine. That can be very profitable. But like, what if you did movies that were apolitical? This is my whole thesis of like where entertainment has to go. Okay, I'm giving it to you right now. Um, What if you could make entertainment that was completely apolitical you know it wasn't like overtly christian there was jesus wasn't in anything it doesn't talk about there's no yellowstone there's no guys in cowboy hats you know what i mean there's none of the like typical signifiers of like this is rat wing content you know but instead because it's apolitical it actually is very political because there's no Bechdel test. There's no, uh, there's no, you know, random trans character that has no, serves no purpose. It's there's like, no, there's no gay sex scenes. Like there's a, a white couple and their children are both white. Like what? <laughs> you, you never, you literally never are allowed to see that anywhere on TV commercial anymore. Like, you know, miraculously, uh, People of uh, the same race can have multicolor, different colored children somehow on, you know, in the, in the Tide commercial. So if you could produce that kind of entertainment that leads by being simply good, it's just good. It makes you laugh. I always think about like, uh, you know, probably one of 
one of my favorite childhood movies, probably one of yours, The Goonies. Why can that not be replicated? Why can't The Goonies, you know, be replicated? It's just fun. That's it. Yeah, I. it's like, I, I, I love the framework of this. And I think that that is what the project of our people is right now. <laughs> I just don't know if it's going to work. You know, I, I think... Um, I don't know. Wow, Doomer. It's just so hard to say <laughs> what's going to happen. No, we I should just always, give up. Let's just unplug. Let's just unplug our computers. So <laughs> I've said it. this before. I think there's actually, and and no one else. This is actually my theory. So nobody else has this yet. Okay. I think it's actually a two. What we're seeing is one battle is actually two battles. And so it's like the dual battle theory. Let's call it that. And I think the the first battle is against woke actual Marxists right. who have somehow found their way into power, right, in the West. They, I honestly, it was this, like, group of Californians that just somehow, <laughs> nobody was paying attention, like, like nobody was, like, paying enough attention to them, and then they just, boom, well, what the fuck, how the hell did they get yeah. what is going on? Right. And they're, you know, Soros is obviously a huge problem. He's like a big part of it, you know. And so there there's this group out there that seized control somehow. And the normies, even the conservatives, like people who are, you know, never Trumpers, they didn't really get it. And they they're only starting to get it now, largely because of the things people like you are writing, which is bringing this stuff to them. They're understanding. Well, wait a second. Why is this woke group so powerful? It doesn't make any sense. It's like they're okay. unassailable. Right. I think there's this rotten group inside the system. And I think that this rotten group is going to be easier to take out than people think. Like, mm-hmm. nobody likes to hear this, but I genuinely think if we got DeSantis in, DeSantis could pretty much take care of this group, like, by himself. Like, I think he would know how to do it. I think he would know how to get the right people out of power. I think he'd prosecute the right people. Or even getting Trump in there again. You know, I think if Trump could get in there again, he would know that he had to take, he would know what the project was a little better. Get these ideologues out, get people like Soros, you know, somehow disempower them. And you're basically dealing, I mean, Teal put it very well. It's like Wahhabism, right? It's like, uh, right. it's kind of crazy religion that is like infecting a small percentage of people. And the numb masses, as we're saying, are just too insensitive to really get what's going on right so they're just kind of like going along with it i think you can get this group out pretty easy like i think america Mm. will defeat this group simply because they can't survive with free speech they have to destroy free speech because they're right you know they can't free speech will kill communism almost all of the time right that's true so i think this group will be easily to deal with if they can just not I don't want to say cheat because, you know, I don't want to be accused of being whatever, but if they can just not, uh, you know, <laughs> what did they admit to doing? Um, what did they call it? The election? They, uh, Oh, for, fortify. fortify. Yeah. If yeah. they can just uh-huh. not fortify the election to the, yeah. degree that, the degree that DeSantis <clears throat> can't win. I think if DeSantis wins, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Trump, but assuming that DeSantis one day they get some power, I think he can like purge these people. And we all want them purged. You know, we all want to get rid of these people anyway. Then, um, however, that's battle one. 
Okay. Two, though, is really a much, much bigger, more difficult question, which is globalism itself. And that will be like the battle that defines the next 2000 years. Like we will be fighting nationalists versus globalists for a millennia. Like that's basically what this is going to be. Right. Yeah. Oh, man, when you put it like that. I'm rambling. I drank too much coffee. Let's go. <laughs> let's go back to you. So. Uh, all right. Peachy Keenan. What is Peachy Keenan? What, where does the name come from? Why are you Anon? <laughs> okay, well, Peachy Keenan is, I mean, I just, uh, it was like my third or fourth um, Anon account. I, all my previous ones had gotten banned um, over the years. Um, and so I just was looking for something that was just, you know, random. And it just, you know, it's just a play on Peachy Keen, which is sort of like ironic, like, you know, things on Twitter are not usually Peachy Keen. So it's just like an ironic little... <laughs> luckily it was actually like looks like a name and people ask me like oh they'll dm me like oh i have a cousin who's a keenan like do you know you know phil keenan in cincinnati (laughs) and i'm like no i'm sorry (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's funny um so who's the image who's your pfp oh okay well i yeah it's it's Mary Magdalene oh. and I it's from an old Renaissance painting of Mary Magdalene. I just love the expression on her face. You know, she's mm-hmm. just looking at you, judging you. Um, I am a you know convert to Catholicism. So like I'm a traditional, I was raised a t- secular atheist. My, my mother, you know, we were raised to hate religion, hate Christians yeah. and reject all of it. Um, but I became a convert um, after I was already a parent and already married and so for me, Mary Magdalene, you know, I don't know if you know her story. She was like Jesus's like girl Friday. She was a major bad girl. She was a sinner. And then he kind of, he red pilled her and pulled the demons out of her, you know, and she became a good girl. And um, so I kind of, I kind of relate to that a little bit. I see. Okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So it's Mary Magdalene. That makes sense. Right. You actually, I mean, let's just, your most fascinating conversation, part of your Kashuda conversation. So you talked to Alex Kashuda. Oh yeah. Alex mm-hmm. Kashuda is another podcaster in, my, in the space who has all the exact same people I have on. I have on. She has them on first and long before me. Um, She, you guys to have a very like female conversation about like we did. mother. We did. Like it's, it's funny how female it is, but you get to this point that was very telling where, or not telling, but just very interesting where you were talking about, you both were said you had no choice besides to spend your twenties, you know, uh, dating around and, you know, being a career person, because that's just mm-hmm. such a strong influence in our space but you it would be like almost a fantasy or a dream if you had married your husband at like 20 mm-hmm. yeah totally so why, why is that a fantasy though um uh, you know when you like me and my generation and everyone now 
like you're, 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 you're told to spend your twenties, you know, self-actualizing and self-actualizing, you know, finding yourself and exploring and like, who are you? And like, what do you like? You know? And so you're, you, you come out of college and you're just like on that road. Like that's what the, you know, feminism, like that's empowering to you. That's you're just, you're working and you're, you're not looking to settle down and you're going out all the time and you're just like being living your best life, you know, you think. And then like, you know, you get to like, oh, I'm wow, I might be turning 30. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> you know, and she described the same sort of kind of panic, like, wait, what I, I'm supposed to aren't I supposed to, what if I want kids? Oh yeah. Whoops. Like, and so I describe it in my book as you know, escaping feminism, the feminist trajectory by the skin of my teeth. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, you kind of like, you know, like when the, the door is coming, the the big stone door thing is coming down on Indiana Jones and he has to like reach his hand through it. He grabs, <laughs> this is the last pull, minute. <laughs> yeah, pulls his hat out. Like, that's how I feel. Like I pulled out of the, the last train out of Auschwitz. That's <laughs> right. I got, I somehow at the last second got, you know, met a, met a guy, you got engaged, guy. Yeah. got married wow. and like got pregnant, like boom. And like the, in like 18 months. And, uh, I just, I feel very fortunate that I was able to like have that revelation in time to pull off a, like a decent sized family and, you know, a a nice, a nice man, a marriage to a nice person. Um, and people who wait too long, you're, you're going to be out of luck. Like, you're just not gonna, you may realize way too late in your life. And I know women like this who bitterly mourn that they, can't have you know they managed maybe to have one child they would have loved to have more if only I had oh if only I was a little younger if only I had met my husband earlier and for me and for Alex you know and she's funny because she mentioned that that uh, a show that I talk about which a lot of women talk about who survived feminism which is sex in the city you know and like I lived in New York and I was just we were just living that like we were living the sex and city lifestyle that was extremely pernicious uh, influence on on my generation and I think younger women you know I think we need to you know do something in Minecraft about HBO like I don't know we have to we have to stop it um <laughs> my and- wife started re-watching it like two years ago and yeah. I just watched five seconds and I was like this show is satanic like it is a satanic show in every way but here's um, the thing here's the thing Isaac it get it pulls you in not because it's trying to like paint what is really a like a promiscuous gay man's lifestyle in these like pretty colors it draws you in with the fashion and the manolos and the like fun girl stuff and the cute boys but underlying it all is you can just be just like us but you have it, it comes with like you know just very intense level of promiscuity loneliness heartbreak and and childlessness how old are, how old are they supposed to be in the original show, I mean, they start when they're in their probably late twenties, turning turning thirty. I think in your very first episode. Yeah, so, it's so funny yeah. the differences in New York and LA. I think because of that show, it's like it, it for a man, it is like impossible not to get <laughs> laid in New York City. But for a woman, if for in LA, it is impossible to get laid. It's like right. so different. Um, and. I don't know, you know, like, what do you have to say about all this red pill stuff? I think you're actually the perfect person to talk about this, because when I hear you talking about (laughs) this stuff, like what I want to ask is, but isn't there a side of woman 
that is the word used in the red pill sphere. And I actually got red pilled by the red pill subreddit, to be honest, because I'm, I'm the exact same as you, PG. Nice. I, I grew up secular atheist. Very classic lib ultra liberal mm-hmm. upbringing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Michling half breed kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, like, um, liberal, but Mazel tov. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like, and and uh, yeah, liberalism as religion that's what I would say, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and um, for both families, both both families, and oh, they both grew up like pretty privileged, both my parents, mm-hmm. and um, I was always an asshole, you know, I was always questioning, I was always blah blah blah, but I was totally like Obama until I voted for the first Obama, right? And I remember I was with my wow, multicultural friends in New York City, and <laughs> And uh, like they were all sobbing, we were all so happy when Obama. Oh, you have you have you have you have token friends. What? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, George Bush sucked. George Bush was fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's no wonder mm-hmm. he was. Neocons are just as bad as neoliberals. They're there. wor- they're worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right, worse. So it's no, it's not. We weren't totally off, you know. And at least I, I realized it by the next time. But I will say the thing that really. The moment my red pilling moment was very clear, and it was the red pill subreddit. It was that article by the futurist, who's some like Arab guy, who wrote oh, yeah. about the hypergon or the androgyny bubble, or the no, not androgyny. How do you say hating man, men? Uh, 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 like the opposite of misogyny. I yeah, forgot. the opposite of misogyny is hmm. something. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. What is that? Uh, um yeah the the futurist i've like i can never remember what this is called um it's the androgyny bubble so you so one article red pilled you maybe i don't feel so bad anymore no 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 it wasn't one article i mean i've been for me it was always the most obvious in the male female dynamic you know and and it's not like i was like in new york city i got laid more than anybody you know at least as much (laughs) as anybody else but there was something that was like sinister you know there was there was something bad and i there was something rotten and i'd always felt that you know wait, are you what wait isaac are you west elm caleb wait what no yeah <laughs> I, I need i need a lot more inches <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know uh i it was always it was the so a lot of people i think most people in our space it's actually race that revs pills them because mm-hmm. they grow up thinking they hear this thing that there are no biological differences between the races. And they, to me, it's just so funny that anybody ever believed that. Right. Uh, so like I was already way past not believing that. Cause I grew up with like mostly black people, but the male mm-hmm. female thing, I always knew like there's something that we're being told here. That's just not real. Right. And so it all late relates back in uh, this article by the futurist, which I'll, I'll find. Um, that was about hypergamy. And so do you know what hypergamy means? Uh, I forget. So hypergamy is like this. You have a lot of kids with. So no, hypergamy is the like the theory in biology that the female of the species mates. Oh, right. Yeah, status, yeah. Right, right. right? So he goes through like all these other animals and shows how like women mate for status. And I think right, right. like for me, what was so what I couldn't 
swallow was the fact that I knew that any one of my girlfriends, if like the right guy showed up, they would bang that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I like couldn't stand right. that fact. I couldn't like, it made me so jealous and so angry that that was true. And I couldn't explain it. I was like, why is this? Um, so, you know, I started digging and, and I found the red pill and everything like that. And what hypergamy basically says is, Actually, our common, our world today that unmoors women from the pressure of marriage is what it does is, is it makes women free to mate for status. And what that looks like is, is what we see, which is every woman on the app gunning for the same one, you know, 10%, 1% of men. And these men just having like five girlfriends, basically. And actually, in like their heart of hearts, women are not really upset about that. Like they would prefer to be women. The the basis of this theory is that women would prefer, prefer to be the third wife of a very powerful man than the first, the only wife of a normal man. So do you think that that's true? That's like. Tinder is just like a harem app at this yes, point for exactly. like the the giga chads to collect their um, to collect their, their harems exactly. all their oh yeah all their side pieces. I mean, I guess for some women, you know, and I would say that's probably women who are materialistic. You know, like they want to be on a yacht, they want to have you know the the perfect Tiffany diamonds. Like I, I, I guess it's women who don't have the right mindset or approach to life. Sure. Uh, when you, you know, I just, I can't relate to that at all, that those women at all. Like, I just, you know, I believe in, um, you know, loving, loyal, devoted, monogamous marriages. You can mate for life and you're each other's like best friend and partner. So, you know, the ideal, the ideal kind of Western concept of marriage, I totally buy into, um, and I think that, yeah, no, those women are just cruising for a bruising, you know, because right. it, it, there's no such thing as like, well, how's that going to be, you know, that might be the app, the app arrangement that you have, you're the number three to whoever, but in real life, what are you going to be? What are you going to, you know, yeah, you're not going to be able to, right. Exactly. Are you going to have not... sister wives? Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. you're just going to get dumped. You're just going to get dumped and yeah, you're going to end never, up. Uh, yeah you're never going to reproduce with these, you know, you see these women like in sports when I think I always feel this when I see like Aaron Andrews interviewing the latest top quarterback and right. she has this starry eyed look in her eyes oh boy. and you're just like, man, she is just like in heaven, you know, like she's <laughs> going and just like banging these like powerful guys that are just the, the, you know, the heartthrob of the whole country but then what happened to Aaron Andrews? She turned 45 and then couldn't have kids. And that was like super regretful of it. She ended up marrying a hockey star, but you know, she never actually satisfied the urge that she had because just wow. as you said, each one of these alpha dudes, they can't have five wives, at least in this country, they can only have one. Right. I don't know anything about her. Like I don't watch sports. So I know who she is, but I didn't know that story. Wow. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. She's like the perfect example of it. So it's like, yeah, you kind of, this this is what marriage, this is why they say marriage is the foundation of society because it literally is. It's like, if you don't have it, you're just going to have 
you know, 5% of men having all the women and what are the rest of the guys going to do? And what are the, you know, right. Well, that's why they want to, that's why they want to convince women like her, um, that I don't need to get married, that you can live a completely fulfilled and satisfying life without, without, with just, you know, randos. Um, that's just as good. There's no better marriage is not better. It's not worse. Well, actually marriage might hold you back, girl, you know, be careful. Right. And so they're, when you believe that lie, which is a lie that you are taught, you, you just kind of like by osmosis, you take that in, Uh, you know, even, even, you know, me in generation X, but even, you know, girls now it's even more explicit, you know, marriages, you know, it's, why would you, why would you bother? Like, um, you got to put you first and yeah, it'll lead to, uh, just so much, so much misery and unhappiness. And so what, you know, this is back to what Alex was saying about, we wish, you know, what if we had met our spouses or whatever, when we were much younger, um, would we have chosen to get married then? And the answer is like, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Like, of course, like imagine going through more of your life with someone who's like awesome and who like actually gives a shit about you. You know, yeah, and so all the ups and downs and slings and arrows or whatever, you're with um, someone who like is going to help you through that, and you're not just this like floating, you know, floating like hoe, like yeah. <laughs> bobbing through the waters of like guys who don't give a shit. You know, yeah, like right. why would you choose that? No yeah. one in their right mind would choose that, and they, but they don't know they have the choice. Because it's very, you can't, you can't graduate from like Princeton or Duke or whatever and tell your girlfriends, well, I want to get engaged this summer. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so weird. Yeah. You can't, you can't even utter those words unless you were raised in some like religious fundamentalist, you know, community. Um, Like the one I'm trying to raise my children (laughs) right now. Um, (laughs) It's really sad. It's really sad. And I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that like, because we made these, my husband and I both, we don't come from religious backgrounds at all or nothing. Um, we're both secular libs. Um, but I'm hoping that, you know, that that our children will not make the mistakes we made. You know, they will be, they're basically marked safe from the broken culture. And I just am very, like, honestly, I, you know, it's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think for at least in terms of fulfillment, it's hard to understand how it could be any different, at least until they make multiple marriages legal and then harems really can't exist. But until then, it's <laughs> no, like, no thanks. yeah, it's like, ladies, you're you're crazy if you think that you're going to, you know, and they get this look in their eyes that's just like, yeah, well, yeah, no, thanks. I'm I'm a professional. And then they go and bang, you know, the guys that they really want to bang. But then they're ultimately unsatisfied because they can't, you know, none of those guys are going to settle down with them and actually reproduce with them. And then not only that, uh, they have to pretend that they don't care. You know, they have to pretend that, Oh, what I care about is you know my job at, at a tech company, which is like, they don't fucking care about that. But here's what I want to ask you. So this has been a great conversation. We're not getting into any of the bullet points that, that I laid out here, but that's okay. So what I want to ask is you've called yourself an anti-feminist. So what does that mean? And then how do we reconcile that with the fact that you are in fact a 
professional writer? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Well, anti-feminism, like, you know, look, I'm not an academic. I don't have like a PhD in like feminist studies or whatever. Um, but like, I've seen what, you know, the wages of feminism and like the damage that it has caused. So I have to position myself as like, well, I'm not, I'm not part of that. Like I'm against those, those crazy, you know, fools, those white ants, like keep them away from me. So to me, that anti-feminism is just, uh, you know, rejecting fully um, the, the mainstream feminist ideology which is like we've been just we've been discussing like delaying delaying motherhood until you're quote ready you know for freezing your eggs like you know marriage you know a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle like these are all giant lies and so as an anti-feminist you're just you're trying to kind of like live a different way and and when those kind of things hit you, you just, you have to just bat them away. You just swat them away. You're like, nope, not, not today, Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And as a writer, well, what do you mean? Like, how do I reconcile that as a yeah, I mean, writer? This is just the most obvious question in the world for you, Peachy. I mean, think about it. What, what are your haters thinking right now? They're thinking, <laughs> they're thinking, well, yeah, she says women should be in the kitchen, but why is she out there writing? I mean, like, oh, okay, you know I what I mean? yeah. I mean, I make it very clear in my book that, like, you know, I am a, I'm a working mother, and I always have worked, like, always. You know, I, I think I took time off when I had babies, but I've always been like doing stuff. Now, of course, I have the privilege as a writer of like working mostly from home as like a starving freelancer. Okay. (laughs) Like no one was going to offer me a like C-suite job like that. (laughs) And I don't, and I don't want that damn job. You know, I was very happy to like make my little pennies, staying at home, writing my little marketing, advertising, copy, whatever. Um, And so, no, I do not think women belong in the kitchen. You know, in my house, my husband is like a better, way better cook than me. Okay. Um, I would love to never set foot in my kitchen, frankly. Like I'm not, I'm not into, I'm not into chores. Like I don't iron clothes. Like I'm not, I'm not what you would consider like a, you know, I'm not a full trad wife. Okay. Let me put it that way. Um, I haven't leaned all the way in, Yeah, yeah. but that's okay. Like that's fine. I am, I, I provide for my family. I cook for them. I do, I do all that stuff. I don't, I don't love it, you know? Um, but no, I never say women should not work. Like you should not, you should do nothing. You should be pregnant when you're 21 and wear your Amish dresses and, you know, raise your barns on the weekends. Like, you know, no, you don't have to do that. Like you, you can like, God bless you. Um, and like my book is about this program of like becoming a domestic extremist. Now, obviously I, what I mean by that is just become extremely domestic and, and, um, you know, focus on, you know, yourself and finding a mate and building a life and building a family. Like, that's what I mean. And, um, you know, you don't you don't need a farm. You don't need a homestead. You don't need to necessarily be someone who is like, you know, a woman. But you you have to stay in the barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Like, if you want to do that, you should do that. And I think my point really is that that choice has been taken away from us. Like Mm. you don't even, you don't even have the choice to like 
oh, I no, actually I'm going to get married in my twenties and I am going to stay home with my kids yeah. and I am going to, I am going to breastfeed them for like a year or two. Like, yes, I, I am actually going to do that. No, I'm not putting them in daycare. I'm not going to hire a night nurse. I'm, I'm going to do it myself. And that is a choice that women should be able to make, but like, but like, but like they, that that's not available. Right. Like you have no, if you voice that you're a freak, Yeah, you're an extreme, you're an extremist. And that's what my, my book title is also about, because like I got treated, like I was this crazy extremist when I got pregnant with my third baby. Like people would ask me, I remember this woman asked me, she saw me like visibly pregnant and I had two, you know, I did have two like very small children at the time. I had three under three, you know, when my third was born. And she looked at me, she looked at my stomach and she's like, you know, she of course had two kids because that's like the legal limit in LA. You're not allowed to go above two. And she saw me, she's like, oh my gosh, what are you now? Some kind of Mormon? <laughs> and I was like, Mormon? <laughs> yeah. Three three kids? Like, yeah, okay. Not that many. Three? Yeah. <laughs> Our parents had three. Like three is not... Is that that's radical, I guess, yeah. you know, because like, how do you fit three car seats in like your Mercedes? Yeah. You know, that's her <laughs> attitude. Her Mercedes. I don't have a Mercedes. Yeah. Um, and so I just since then, actually, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I am going to be an extremist. I'm just going to lean into that. And like, yeah, I can make a living and figure out my little like, you know, pr- writing uh, gigs and stuff. Also. But my priority, it will always be to like be hold my own babies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying like you're not advocating for um, women belong in the kitchen. That's not what you're saying. You're saying basically marry a stable guy and have a lot of kids. Yeah. Now, ideally, we would have a country that, you know, Tucker Carlson talks about this, like you could have a family on one income. So I understand that people are like, how do you do that? Like, that's very hard. I get it. But like, but I will say that, yes, when your children, and this is the hill I'm going to die on, when your children are small, the mom, you, the mother should be the one, the primary caretaker of the child. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that's probably going to happen in your house. So yes, that does mean you need to kind of like stay around the house while they're little, while they're very small. You know, um, uh, the first two or three years of a baby's life, they're kind of still. It's like the they're kind of still part of you. You know, and I mean, yeah. So no, you don't have to be locked in the kitchen, and the husband comes home and like kicks his shoes off, and you like are the little lady massaging his feet. Like no, like <laughs> that's. No, I do not want to return to the 1950s. Of course not. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just hard biological facts, which is babies need their mom. I mean, that's just can't really get around that one. Yeah. No, I think it's so obvious when you there's a great scene. in. have you seen speaking of movies, have you seen Dragged Across Concrete? I think I did not see it. It, I think well, I would, the title probably highly, highly recommend this film. It's a, it's, I've heard it's Craig, good. I've heard it's good. Yeah. Craig Zoller is so based, and this movie is just based values laid out. Is that Kurt Russell or is that no? That's Bone the one before. That's that's Bone Tomahawk. So this is Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. Oh, okay. And there's oh, a oh, scene okay. in it with a woman who is a mother who's being told by her husband to go off to work. 
and she does not want to leave the child yeah and he keeps wow. being like come on come on just go just go it's like it's fine we need the money we need the money and finally oh, she goes. and of course you know you can guess what happens to her but uh oh. it's so based it's like such a based metaphor wow um and yeah. i think it's so obvious man it's like when you know i have only one kid but like when you see the mom it's like and the mm-hmm. baby it's just mm-hmm. so obvious that uh yeah these natural order of things right i mean denigrate that is so gross and i i'm just completely with you i mean i you know there's always going to be exceptions there's always going to be women who genuinely don't feel that way right but yeah that's fine that's fine that's fine but it's like why why is our whole society based around that one you know like shouldn't our whole society be celebrating motherhood and that's what's so weird and gross about about the left it's like you say you like women but you hate the thing that makes them women yeah no exactly and that's uh you know they want they want women they cry when the babies or kids are separated from their parents at the border like when the children are basically separated from their traffickers is who they're being separated from but they're totally enthusiastically separating six-week-olds from their mothers so the mothers can get right back to work yeah right right. and, and they never where, yeah yeah they it never really sh- does all come back to cheap labor <laughs> i feel like i mean like hmm. you know it's they really just want cheap labor they don't even have it and and this is just convenient for the large corporations you know and women are really cheap labor i write a lot about this um in the book which is that you know they're the how how they need they need to snip the maternal bond they need to sever that the earlier the better and you know when you say goodbye to your baby for eight nine hours a day to be raised by strangers you know that maternal bond like you know it it, it kind of withers it, it it does get a little little too flabby and maybe you'll be a little more comfortable when they're a little bit older when they express an interest in wearing, you know, a dress if they're a boy, you know, yeah, maybe so that's what is going on with that. Tell tell us what oh is going on in the mind of a woman. You know, I feel like Sam Hyde is good on this stuff, right? Like he's a good, he does a better job of almost anyone than there's that amazing skit of his. That's like a, a man, a young boy who's like being taught to idolize his mother and he oh it's just all mm-hmm. warped and weird it's so genius like uh and where i just cannot like what mother thinks yeah. that, why do they do this why do they want to mutilate their children it's like right. what why right i mean i think that the main driver i mean it's a couple things coming from the mothers number one it's Munchausen by proxy. You yeah. know what that is. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, you make your child something wrong with your child. They have some kind of medical s- condition that requires all kinds of interventions and all kinds of, um, you know, fake and unhealthy medical interventions. And you become this glorified saint who is just this, look at you, look at you, what you're doing for your kid. Like, look how accepting you are and open and just that dopamine hit is so profound and often the women who tend to be the mothers of the young trans children are the ones who are 
most in need of those kinds of like affirming dopamine hits because they're often single divorced, Mm -hmm. you know, they're wait, where does the dopamine hit actually come from? It comes from the affirmation, the likes on Instagram, like when they announce their new daughter, you know, and just, oh my gosh, you are just this wonderful, you just get all of it. You're just now the Beyonce of the cul-de-sac or the trailer park or wherever in the apartment block, you know? And, um, and that's just so addictive. Like there's no way off that. And they just need more bigger hits and bigger hits. And I mean, there was that great study by the, um, uh, the Brown researcher, her name starts with an L. I can't remember her name. Uh, Littman. Yeah. Littman. Lisa Littman, I think her name is. She did a study at Brown and she got maybe five or six, seven years ago and she got canceled for it when she did a psychological study of the mothers of young children who have gender dysphoria and the conclusion and the reason she got canceled is because like some overwhelming percentage of those mothers had bipolar disorder. They were like, or like had borderline personalities that made them incredibly susceptible to these like online influences. Right. So the it's a, it's all about the mom (laughs) and it's, I was just actually working on an essay about this. Um, what was I calling it? Like, like drag queen to Electra Boogaloo or something like trying to <laughs> diving into the psychology of these women who are now taking their kids to like the drag brunch, you know, in Plano, Texas. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, you, you see- made an interesting point that was like, these women are actually the same women as do who do the drag brunches. <laughs> Yeah, they're all the like, same. Or, no, sorry, the, the same women that do the child, you know, the child like um uh beauty pageants. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like there's a direct line from that kind of like 80s, 90s mom. Yeah. Who's like hypersexualizing and hyperfeminizing her like four-year-old daughter, you know, the Jean Benet Ramsey. Um like, what is that? Like that psychology, right? It's like, and I wrote, actually, I wrote an essay about this a couple years ago called Big Pimping, which was um, me grappling with this phenomenon of like, you know, adult women living vicariously through their more attractive, skinnier, prettier daughters. Yeah. And I've seen this repeated over and over in my, in my life, people I know who allow their daughters set themselves to the world as these like you know sexual objects of desire at very young ages like disturbingly young um like i like like when i was in pre i talk about this at essay on american mind big pimping i was at a mom's night out at the, for preschool okay and like my one of the moms asked me about my daughter who had literally at the time was like 18 months old and she was like when are you planning to get her on the pill yeah. And I was like, she's 18 months old. It's <laughs> like, well, when mine, well, I just can't wait for my little one-year-old to, to tell me she wants to ready to go on the pill. I, I probably as soon as she has her first period. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, get me out of here. <laughs> well, that's, and that's called the agree and amplify cycle, right? I mean, it's a, that, that's the, <laughs> they're doing that to test the waters to then you're supposed yeah. to say something more. And then you all right. show your consensus in, in the group and the giant, right. Cult. 
They're right. It has planned, to be right? okay. If, if they're all doing it, I have to do it. Right. It's it, kind of a peer I, pressure. Yeah. I just don't know if people like that are ever, it's like, you know, just dumbass people do that. You know, they're not writers. They just agree and amplify ideas because they're uncomfortable. They don't, you know, they're not really like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They're just not fully <laughs> like, yeah, it's so funny. I, I've experienced the same thing so many times. Somebody says something like that, and I'm just like so taken aback, you know? <laughs> and it's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask you one more question before we run. Well, we still have like 20 more minutes, but um, I think this might be a long one also. So um, uh, wait, hold on. Take a check. I completely just had it in my head and then I forgot what I was going to say. Okay. Uh, I guess. Oh yeah. Okay. This was it. This was it. Sorry. I think I got this in just enough time that I don't have to edit that. Um, How do we, okay. So what we're doing right now, we're, we're saying that our way is better than the other way. Right. Right. Yes. You, and I agree, obviously you have this quote, um, in, in your book, I'm just going to read it. Uh, it says, I I don't know exactly which part of the book this is in, but, but I'm just going to read it. Guess what? You already know what to do to become a domestic extremist. All one must do is listen closely for the ancestral longings that lurk in the heart of every human being. As you listen, dormant instincts may rouse themselves from slumber. Pay attention to them. They will lead you out of the barren wasteland that stretches before us. So I think what we're saying, you know, I don't like the word neo-reaction because neo-reaction reduces us to just a bunch of people who are contrarians. Like we're we're not rooted in anything. We're just saying we don't right. like this. We don't have any other plan, um, but we just don't like what's happening. Right. Right. But what you're saying here, which is, I think, really deft and really smart is no, we do have an ideology. It's just rooted in naturalism, I guess you would say. It's rooted in our natural feelings. That's a know? good way to put it. Yeah. Like natural revulsion towards certain things and, and everything like that. So, like, how do we differentiate between, like, I don't want, my fear is that it sounds like we're just complaining all the time. Like, how do we differentiate, how do you differentiate between just being so pissed off and disgusted by this common world and then also, like, having something to say that is, like, where are we basing our revulsion at the common world, at the current world from? Does that make sense? No, what do you mean? Where are we basing it on? Like... Why are we, what is this instinct in us that tells us that the person that came up to you and says, I want my daughter on birth control as soon as she has her first period when she's literally a baby. Like most people are not revolted by that. Where, mm-hmm. where does our revulsion come from? Um, yeah, for, uh, so I think, you know, the reason why you're the way you are and I'm the way I am and why we somehow like, got out of there, you know, yeah. escape, escape their clutches Yeah, is that, you know, for some reason, I mean, maybe we're just like, you know, we're just superior intellects. I mean, I don't really know, mm-hmm. but maybe I think that somehow along the way we encountered 
like some old people. Like maybe we had our grandparents or our great grandparents or some bit of like family lore that kind of stuck in us. And for me, it's about knowing that like in a not too distant past, my female ancestors were like hardcore domestic extremists. Okay. I come from like a long line of domestic extremists. And so do you. And so do, so do all of us. Like that was how we're, that's the only reason we're here. That's the only reason why we, we like, you know, survived all the like um, extinction bottlenecks is that our ancestors were like real much better at feeding, having and feeding their babies. Right. And getting them to adulthood. So we, Maybe because I remember I have like this ancestral memory of my great grandmother and like what she had to do to like survive like pretty brutal conditions, you know, in turn of the century Europe um, and how she made it to America and like what what her life was like. And so, you know, just it's a legacy that none of us care about anymore. No one no one wants to honor them anymore. But maybe that for me is like, I, I don't, I can't like, you know, disrespect her. Like did, she, she did all that. She got on a freaking boat and like alone, like a widow babies died, like starving and got to New York. Like for, for what? <laughs> like for me to become some, like, you know, cutting off my children's genitals yeah. and like, you know, banging hundreds of guys. Like, no, that's not why she did that. <laughs> You know, that's yeah. not why they came through Ellis Island. Like all those peasants from Ireland and Russia and wherever they came from, like Italian, everywhere. Like where are their grand great granddaughters now? Like it's scary to think about. Yeah. You know, the suffering that they went through for the American dream. And like, what are we doing now? Look at us. <laughs> like we should be ashamed of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a linkage to the past in some way. I think that's an interesting answer. I've never thought of it that way. Like there's some deeper linkage to the people who came before us. There's like an ancestral mandate. I think so. I mean, you know, people no no history is taught anymore. You know, we only know about whatever happened since like to that Obama was elected. And anything that came before that was, you know, white supremacy and fake and, you know, but we all have these stories of these incredible ancestors and all of our ancestors. If you go back far enough, your ancestors were based like a hundred percent of them were, you know? So we all come from this long history. Human beings are based like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> The cavemen were, they were not, you know, gun control enthusiasts. Like they were just going to kill their enemies. You yeah. Know? And we need to maybe embrace a little bit more of that. It's so funny because I think not, the not, other, the, not the killing part, not the killing part. I'm well, a woman. Of I think the other side might say to us, though, yeah, but, you know, what about homeless homosexuals? You know, they they've wanted to bang dudes since the beginning of times. Like, aren't they more natural? Why? Why are we so against their form of naturalism? Right. They keep going back and like retconning. Yeah. Like women as trannies. Like who did they just say was really a man? Like some like, oh, yeah. Like Emily Bronte or something. Yeah, She's right. she was actually a man. Actually <laughs> Emily, <laughs> Emily Dickinson. You know, she was a lesbian. Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> George Washington. He wore his wife's Martha's dresses or whatever they're saying. 
Yeah, and then liberalism has come to save the world for all of those those poor individuals. That's right. That they were not able to be. They were not able to self actualize. Yeah, as they were not able to self actualize, which is the worst thing in the world because because for them, yourself is only the choices you make. Right? Like they want you in a room. Uh, on four said this perfectly a while ago. Just clicking branded content all day. <laughs> And that's yourself. Yourself is what you click on. You know, it's like, let me click on this pill. Let me click on this uh, identity. Let me click on, you know, I'm just making choices. And that's my entire self. And I think you're saying, no, yourself is rooted in your family. You know, it's rooted in your race. It's rooted in your culture. And those are not things you can decide. You know, whereas this individualist strain is so tempting and so delicious for so many people because it's like, yeah, well, I do want to just decide what kind of porn I want to watch today. And I just want to do whatever, you know, my personal instinct in that moment is. And uh, that's why it's so effective on so many people because it's giving people what they want, even though it's actually not what they want, right? Because what people really want is to feel at home in their tribe and their culture and and um, yeah, their natural roots. Right, but we're also we're also we're also separated, and so you know the atomization of the family that yeah you have to look for these little affirmations from strangers and join your little cults and whatever they are. Yeah. It's revenge of the nerds. <laughs> it's like, like I saw come out, this really struck me the other day when I saw Kamala Harris shilling for Kwanzaa. Oh, oh my she gosh, was. Yeah. And, and I learned that Kwanzaa was actually created in the 1960s, like by people who pre- directly preceded Kamala Harris. So this is a made up holiday that like Kamala Harris right. is a big part of like creating. Like literally Kamala Harris is like her own religion almost, more or less. <laughs> and it just struck me that like this is a person that was so alienated from her tribe, you know, so mixed and so she had no pure roots at all, so she felt like she had to make this shit up (laughs) you know like of course she hates tribes and cultures and races because she feels like she doesn't have one and like she in response has decided that the whole enterprise is bullshit and i think that the the people who slipped into control uh are that they're people who don't they have no roots so they want to destroy the roots forever yeah look at obama's family you know he does. He doesn't really raised by his grandparents, abandoned by his mother. You know, his father. You know, no father. His father died. These are like rootless people. Yeah, and it does feel like they're saying, or they're 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 thinking, well, I didn't have a family, and so you don't get one either. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. I didn't. I didn't have a culture, so culture is not real. You know, My, and, and, I didn't have a dad. Yeah, you yeah. don't need a dad either. Yeah, you don't me. need one. We, We need to bring everybody down to our level, you know, like maybe that is the the impulse behind like, you know, producing more single mothers. Um, The outcomes are so bad for children raised with, you know, in single parent homes. They're so bad. Every metric is bad. Yeah. But they never, you never hear about that. 
Right. No. Yeah, no, it's really crazy. Imagine like preaching the benefits of marriage to like the typical, like, you know, public school parent meeting, like, which is like, you know, 90%, 80% single mothers. Like you would get, you would get beheaded. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. It really is uh, Satan. We really are up against Satan. It's like very true. Um, okay, let's finish this up by talking about like your process in the book. So who, uh, mm-hmm. what is your writing process? And like, how did you write this book? Oh, my process. Yeah, it's so it's very sacred, Isaac, I will share it to you because we're <laughs> with, with your four friends. So I do. So I, I drop the children off at school. I yell at them to not forget their lunchboxes. I come home, I like drink some more coffee. And then you know, you just just stare into the void. That's basically it. Sometimes something comes out. Sometimes it doesn't want to come out. Um, When I was doing the book, that was like so crazy because, you know, like writing a 1500 word essay for American Mind or like a, you know, tiny little tweet is one thing, but like they wanted me to write 80,000 words. Okay. So like... (laughs) How do you do that? Wait, who is they though? Who is they? My, the, well, that was my contract. This is how long the bubble, the publisher, Regnery, you know, so it's like you have well, to write no, I don't. So can we know about how, I don't know how detailed you want to get, but can we know like how that came about? Oh, how I got my, my book deal? Just yeah. Basically, you know, my the edit, one of the editors of Regnery literally slid into my DMs on Twitter. That was it. And we, he's like, Hey, I want you to write a book. So they came to me, which is super, super flattering. Um, I never had to like pitch or do any proposals that I did have to write. He's like, well, I I think it'd be great. You do need to write your proposal. I'll bring it to the, like, whatever acquisition meeting and we'll go from there. So I was like, all right, fine. So I was like, Hmm, what, what, what do I write about? (laughs) How many followers did you have at that point? I think I had, uh, when I got the deal, I had like 8,000. And that was, how long had you been shitposting, for lack of a better word? Although you don't really do shitposting. You do more like political posting. But yeah, what? Uh, I dabble. Um, Peachy was born July in 2019. I started writing for American Mind in 2019. And then I got the book deal the fall of 2021. Yeah. And so I spent like the first half of 2022 last year, just like writing and writing, writing. So basically on the weekends, I would have to just like lock myself in my little writing corner, you know, and my, my husband like had to take over. There was no option, Um, but he's, you know, very supportive. He he is very high T, but he's a very supportive guy. (laughs) And then sometimes uh, I would like over spring break when the kids had spring break, I, I went to my mother's house and I just she literally would like bring me tuna fish sandwiches, like, you know, while I just typed, I just typed. And so when you're writing a book, you know, you just have to just get, you just have to sit down and do it. Yeah. Wow. It sucks. It sucks. I'm not going to lie. God bless any of you who are writing books. Um, You know, it's a supposedly fun thing. I may never do again, (laughs) but it's a great process. It's, it's really fun. So how did you structure it? Like, you know, like, because you, yeah, you write sort of topical essays. So how did you structure the larger narrative of the book? Right. So, um, you know, it's a, I wanted to make it like a little bit actionable, a little bit practical. Like there's no like recipes or whatever, like, you know, homeschooling guides. That's not what it's about. 
but I did want to make it feel like not this super abstract kind of high-minded philosophical thing. So I just basically, you know, it's, I mean, you should pre-order the book, all of you out there, by the way, comes out in June. Um, it's basically two parts, two act, two, part one and part two. And part one is like, here's what they took from you. Here's what, here's what you lost. Here's what you should have, but you don't have anymore. And then part two is how to get it back. So it's very simple. It's very simple. It's very direct. I tried to make it, you know, entertaining, um, fun to read, but also with, you know, some, some important messages, hopefully. It's an important book, Isaac. It's very important. <laughs> <laughs> I've written a very important book. <laughs> well, it's, it's great that you, um, that you completed it with such efficiency. Um, was the editing process annoying or was it pretty smooth? No, that was, that was, that was great. Um, Tony, my editor, like he was, you know, he had a very light touch with me. Um, he went very gentle with me. It was my first time. Um, so it wasn't like, I didn't have, I was worried like, oh no, I'm going to have to rewrite billions of words, but it wasn't like that at all. It was like a few notes and we're done. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So are, do they have a, like a PR campaign scheduled for you or are you going to go be on a bunch more podcasts? <laughs> I'm actually, yeah, I think they will um, put me on different interviews with different people. Um, you know, they're like, <laughs> one of the things they're like, well, you know, we really want you to do Tucker. <laughs> it's like, my mother was like, I told it to my mother, you know, she's like a huge Tucker fan. She's like, okay, we can take you wig shopping. We'll get you like a wig. We'll get you sunglasses. So no one will recognize you. <laughs> like I'm not going on Tucker, like a Hadassah wig. Okay. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see where I end up. So did mom also become based later in life or was she always? Well, I, yeah, I have a slight advantage over you because my parents were were Reagan Republicans. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Um, they were secular atheists and, you know, socially liberal, but um, they were like, you know, National Review subscribers and all that stuff. But I rebelled against that. You know, I thought that was lame. Like, I, you know, I don't need that. Like, I was, I was like a, you know, vocal pro-choice, uh, militant pro-choice feminist, you know, starting in high school um, to my mother's dismay. Yeah. So, you know, I think it can go both ways. Um, I think that the, you know, if you, if you are a conservative and you're trying to like get those kind of like, you know, drill those values into your children, it really does help. They'll, they'll, they'll take root much better if you have some kind of religious something going on. Um, that was probably the, the, like the, the, the missing piece. And my parents here are boomers. So they were not necessarily living like, what I would consider like, you know, ultra conservative lifestyles there, you know, we're living, we're like, we had a, I had a very, you know, privileged childhood and like, you know, near the beach in Los Angeles. So it was not really like a trad life, you know? Yeah. 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 Right. Interesting. Um, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Peachy. Let's um, say where we can find all of your stuff. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, I write about once a month for the American Mind, and I just started a Substack, and I'm actually super excited about my new Substack, which you should all subscribe to for free right now. 
or you can you can pay me if you want, but you can please sign up for free. It's peachykeenan.substack.com. Um, I just wrote last week um, an essay that sort of went viral about bad public art. You know, I was inspired by the Martin Luther King statue in Boston and the essay is called pubic art. So you should all check that out. And then my main website is peachykeenanwrites.com where you can read about my book and stuff. Awesome. Okay. Last question. What advice would you have for people in our space who want to be doing what you do? Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about like, well, do you need to become, do you need to have 10,000 hours to get good at something? And like, you know, honestly to write well and to be pithy and, you know, you just got to do it a lot. So just keep tweeting is my advice to you. Keep on tweeting. That's right. Tweet through it. Just keep on tweeting. Tweet on through. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Cool. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll be talking soon. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Isaac. This is fun.